comes by stepping into the light and being like, yes, I'm messy, but God is doing a work of grace in my life. But Jesus is saying, the reason people don't come to me is they like their evil. They like their cover-up. They don't want to be exposed for who they really are. And how many of us know exactly what that's like? Just like Adam and Eve hiding from God after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you struggle with understanding the biblical doctrine of the Trinity? What about our adoption into God's family? What about redemption? Oh, then there's the gift of the Spirit. So many things to try and understand. Things intended for our good, used for division. Although it's important to have a good understanding of what gives us the right to be called a Christian, Pastor Daniel reminds us the most important thing is that we must believe God loved us so much that He allowed His Son to die for us. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 with the conclusion of our message entitled, The God of the Mess. We like to say here that when the Bible is silent, we should be also. And what's amazing is everyone who wants to argue about it, they choose to define predestination based a certain way that they've just chosen because it suits their position. I'm here to tell you, I know that we're predestined. I have no clue how God does it. Okay? So don't, if you're an arguer about it, I know you're going to argue with me after, and that's fine. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, the argument will, has gone on for as long as people have studied the Bible, and it will continue because the Bible doesn't explain to us how God does it. It just says that God did it. And when we're in heaven, if we even care about it, and I don't think we will, but if we even care about it, we're going to say, wow, that was really awesome, Lord. Sorry that I got mad at everybody about it. So don't be that person. No need. And, and unless you need to. And I'll still hug you and I'll say, yeah, I'll just agree with you probably. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> notice that God's election has an outcome. I want you to notice that. Because most often people argue about election. They don't realize. Look what it says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And then some of your translations have in love right there. Some of you have it with the next verse. God's choosing, his election is to make us holy and without blame, set apart, above reproach. So God doesn't choose us so that we can argue about being chosen. God chooses us that we might be like him, separated, living differently. Now, some of your translations have in love there. Some of your translations put in love in verse 5. Why is that? Because it's a long run-on sentence. And when God inspired the text, there was no numbers in there. That was for us so we could find these things. So wherever it goes, either God predestined us, elected us, so that we might be holy and without blame and loving, or if you link it to verse 5, it's that God in his love, verse 5, says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. That's where that idea of adoption comes from. In love, God predestined us to adopt us as sons by Jesus Christ. Now, it's one thing to have children, right? When you have your kids, 
No matter what they are, you just love them, right? We have two, Obadiah and Maranatha, we love those kids. We have one on the way. Our little sweetie, she's five months in the oven. She's got about four more months to continue to be golden brown before she comes out. (laughs) And when that little girl is born, we're going to love her no matter who she is. Parents should love their children. But it's quite another thing when parents choose to adopt a child. You make a decision to say, I am going to love this child who did not come from my own body. And what's fascinating about God's adoption is that we didn't belong to him. He said, I want you. And in Roman culture, much like our culture today, when you were adopted, you were afforded all the same rights as a heir from your own body. Complete familial rights. And the Bible teaches that God chose you and I. All who would believe. God said, I want that guy, that girl, with all their freakiness and issues. I want them to be mine. Now, it's one thing. It's one thing for, it's just your kid, and you're like, yeah, I just love them. I remember when I was going through my more rebellious, formative years, and you're like, well, yeah, you kind of look like that now. <laughs> I remember my dad, he would just kind of shake his head and roll his eyes and be like, yeah, that's just, that's just the way Daniel is right now, right? It's a whole other thing to see me that way and say, I want that guy to be my kid. But that's exactly what God has done for you and for me. He's looked down at our lives and said, I want that one. And if, that, if you're the kind of person who thinks, who could love me? God does. And God loves you just the way that you are. Saying, look, you don't need to get yourself fixed up and come to me. Just come to me and I'll fix you up. I'll change you. I'll help you to take on the identity of what it means to be my child. That's what adoption is all about. That's what it's all about. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's a a pearl string of ideas that the Apostle Paul puts together. What he's saying is that, look, when I choose you in eternity past to adopt you, ultimately... I'm going to finish up what I've started in your life. That's what that means. So no matter where you are in that process, if you're feeling like, man, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm really a lousy one, God's not finished with you yet. If you're here today and saying, look, I'm walking real strong, God's not finished with you yet. If you're about to get on that journey today, God is not finished with you yet. He chooses, adopts you. He's going to see you until you're full grown. That's who God is. That's how he rolls. So you have this adoption in verse 5. Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Wow. Not only does God bless us, not only does God choose and adopt us, not only does he predestine us, but he makes us accepted in the beloved. There's acceptance for you in Christ. That's a powerful concept, isn't it? That no matter who you are, where you've been, if you come to Jesus, you are accepted in Christ. He doesn't accept you because you're acceptable. He accepts you because he loves you and wants to do a work in you. That's why people get hung up about Christianity. That's why I got hung up about it before I ever 
started following Jesus. I'm like, how is it possible that you can really be forgiven if you just put your faith in Jesus? I mean, how is that? Don't I have to do something? And the answer is, yes, you just have to receive God's grace. Because when you do, the power of God's love is greater than the power of my mistakes and your mistakes. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter how crazy last night was, or last week was, or this morning was, if you come to Jesus, God makes you accepted in the beloved. Accepted. And right there, it shifts now, of course, to the Son. Look at what happens in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. If you sum up these five verses, you get a simple reality that the Son redeems in history past. The Son redeems in history past. Now you notice I'm, I'm working a system here. First you have the Father adopts an eternity past. And now you have the Son, Jesus, redeems in history past. Let me show you how this works. Because God has made us accepted in the beloved, it says in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So redemption means to buy back out of slavery. Forgiveness means to lose somebody from what holds them back. And all of this is pointing to the climax of the life of Jesus, which is his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. I call it the climax of his life because there's a lot of people who want to tell you that Jesus only lived to die. And I don't believe that. Jesus lived a perfect life, and because he did, he was the right choice to die for the sins of the world. And because he lived the perfect life and he died for the sins of the world, he was resurrected because he had no reason for death in his life. So death couldn't hold him. But that's all because of the perfectly lived life that he had. And through belief in that, we have redemption and forgiveness. So that point in history past some 2,000 years ago in a hill... In Jerusalem, when Jesus hung on that cross and cried out, it's finished, and died, and then three days later when he was resurrected from the dead, and then some 40 or 50 days later when he was ascended into heaven, all of that stuff, all of that stuff is God's work of redemption for you and for me. That's what this is all about here. In him we have redemption through his blood. That's why it's all about Jesus. It's always been. It always will be. We have redemption. Notice in verse 8, we hear something beautiful. It says, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Wisdom and insight. By believing in Jesus, we are blessed by the Spirit of God and all the gifts of the Spirit. Wisdom and knowledge. All through the finished work of Jesus. Now, I know someone in here is saying, you know, I knew we were going to get to this point where you make me believe in Jesus. It wouldn't be church 
if you didn't get to the hard sell Jesus. I want Jesus to speak to you for a second. Now, I'm not Jesus. I want, you to, I want to read this to you. Listen to John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 16 to 21. This is the words of Jesus from an eyewitness account, no less. Okay? Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Maybe the most famous verse in the Bible. But most people don't ever read John 3.17. Listen to what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Wow, think about that. Jesus wasn't sent to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Then he goes on. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Now, think about what Jesus just said. He said, look, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But the problem is, is the world is condemned already. Why? Because men hate good and love evil. If you're on Facebook, you notice that our church has put out this service And there was a a guy on our church Facebook page who was writing, I wouldn't believe in Jesus even if he was real. Now, that's his position. I'm not going to tell him what. But but think about what he's saying. He's like, even if Jesus is who he says, I'm not going to believe in him anyway. That's a classic case of what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, look, the reason you don't want to believe in Jesus is because Jesus is light. And in the light of Jesus, all of our garbage is clearly seen. It's like, we like to use the example here. It's like those mirrors you gals have that amplify every pore. God bless you, ladies. I don't know why you would want to look at yourself in those things. But we got one of those in our bathroom, and every once in a while, I'll sneak a peek, and I'll just be like, ah. That's who Jesus is. See, Jesus shines the amplifying light on our hearts, and it's not pretty because we're messy. And, and the thing is, is that the person who has been redeemed by God's grace realized, like, the reason Jesus died is because I'm all messy. So I'm willing to deal with my mess, instead of trying to pretend like it's not there and throw all this cover-up on my life. I could really work the makeup analogy right now. (laughs) Jesus is saying, freedom comes by stepping into the light and being like, yes, I'm messy. But God is doing a work of grace in my life. But Jesus is saying, the reason people don't come to me is they like their evil. They like their cover-up. They don't want to be exposed for who they really are. And how many of us know exactly what that's like? Just like Adam and Eve hiding from God after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man, I do a great job hiding from God, except for the fact that he sees everything. It's the only person I'm kidding myself that I'm making one over on God is me. God knows exactly. It's like when you go play hide and seek with your kids. You can hear them breathing. They don't realize they got to breathe quieter. Obadiah does this all the time. I'm like, okay, I'll find you. And all of a sudden, I'm like, look, I'm like, Obadiah, and I hear... <gasps> I know right where he is. He doesn't know that I know where he is. So I play along because I'm a fun dad that way. But that's like us trying to hide from God. God sees. He knows. 
Now, not only does Jesus redeem us, but look at what happens in verse 9 and 10. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both are which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. This speaks of a unification. What this means is that not only does Jesus want to redeem you and I individually, but God is also doing a work of reunification of all that has been broken. This idea of peace that we talked about, it's not only personal, but it's also cosmic. All the created order, every time you hear of a tidal wave, an earthquake, a tsunami, a tornado, that all shows the brokenness of a creation that God is in the process of redeeming. You read the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it's about that. It's about God restoring, renewing that which is broken. And verses 9 and 10 is all about Jesus' work ultimately of bringing all of a broken creation back together. That's what it's about. And not only that, in verse 11, look what it says. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. This speaks about an inheritance that has been promised to us in Jesus. And you know what that inheritance is? When we think of inheritance, we always think of material things, right? Like, man, I got an inheritance. Uncle Bucky, who started a race car company. He left me some money. And you, and you get all bummed when you find out how much it is. No matter how much it is, it's never the right amount, right? You're like, man, I'd like any inheritance to be good. The inheritance that Jesus offers us is entrance into the family of God. It's a spiritual inheritance. It's deeper than just finances. And so not only does Jesus redeem us, but he also is reuniting all of creation, and he's given us a promise to be part of what God is doing across the world, bringing together Jew and Gentile. We're going to get to that in a couple weeks, how there's racial messiness, but God wants to redeem that and work through that. We see it here, those of us who first believed, now with you all as well, because Paul was Jewish speaking to the Gentiles. We're going to get to all of this. Now, finally, verses 13 and 14, it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Finally, we get the Spirit seals in the present. The Spirit seals in the present. The Father adopted in eternity past. Jesus the Son redeems in history past. And now we have the Spirit seals us in the present. Look at what it says. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This means that when the idea of a seal, it's like when you go to Best Buy and you want to buy a TV and you buy the floor model, they bring the box out and they slap a sticker on it that says, sold, right? That's, that's the seal. God uses his spirit, his living active presence in the world to put a this is mine on the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit, as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, seals the deal puts it down. And not only does it, is the word sealed used, but you notice in verse 14 it says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. 
Some of your translations say it's a deposit. It's earnest money. One of the most beautiful pictures of this guarantee, the Spirit of God is your engagement ring from Jesus. That's the most provocative example of it. You think about when a guy wants to marry a gal. He goes and raids his bank account, and he buys a ring. And if he's a smart guy, he goes and talks to your dad, you gals, and he mans up and says, can I marry your daughter, please? That makes the man. It really does. I have a great story about that. I'll save it for another time when I got to do that. He said, yes, praise the Lord, but that's... But when a guy gets on his knees and tells a girl, will you marry me? He puts a ring on her finger. Now, that ring is not just about promoting the jewelry industry. That ring on a girl's finger says, one day I'm going to come, I'm going to marry you. That's, it's there as a promise that says, I'm going to make you my own. And that's exactly who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. The Holy Spirit is an engagement ring that Jesus is saying, look, one day I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to myself in the consummation. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. So think about this. The God of this mess, the Father adopts in eternity past, the Son redeems in history past, and the Spirit seals right now. And I want to close with all the things that I skipped in two minutes. Yeah, you're going to watch me do this. this, is, this is, I skipped a lot of words here, and I did it on purpose, because I want you to notice at verse 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Brothers and sisters, trust in Jesus by hearing and believing. Trust in Jesus by hearing and believing. It says, in him you also trusted. That's why I get trust in Jesus. In Jesus you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed. We trust in Jesus by hearing the words, like you're hearing this morning, and then being moved to believing. And once you do that, then the Holy Spirit seals your life. See, all through this passage, the gravity of this passage is all to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look, in verse 3, in Christ. In verse 4, in Him. In verse 6, in the Beloved. Verse 7, in him. Verse 9, in himself. Verse 10, in Christ. In himself. Verse 11, in him. Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in him. You see how it's all about Jesus? Every single verse here is in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, to himself, for Jesus. Now you know what else? Not only are there all these in hymns, because it's all about Jesus, but God loves to draw people to himself. You know how I know? Listen to these. Verse 5, according to the good pleasure of His will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Verse 7, according to the riches of His grace. Verse 9, according to His good pleasure. Verse 11, according to the counsel of His will. Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. Jesus is I wanted to thank you so much for listening in at Jesus is Real Radio. I am blessed and humbled that you would take the time and you would grow alongside of this. Now listen, the teaching on Christian Radio, it's amazing. Praise God for all the teaching. But listen, just receiving 
God's word is not God's design for you as a disciple. It just didn't say, listen, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to listen to good Christian teaching. Jesus, in effect, said, listen, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to be part of the family of God, the people of God, the church. Now, listen. Believe me, I know church is not easy. There's all sorts of people at church. Sometimes things don't go well. I know for many of you, you probably have church baggage because you got hurt or something went on. But listen, God designed a community of believers, a congregation to be the primary way that we are discipled. And so listen, you need to be involved in a local church. God wants you to be growing with a group of people. You need to be in a church that teaches God's word unashamedly, not one that's going to make excuses. You need to be in a church where the pastor's going to say things that you're not going to like. Why? Because then you go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? You need to be in a church with people who aren't exactly like you. Because in church, when iron is sharpening iron and you're getting rubbed a unique way by someone who you wouldn't normally hang out with, God will do something amazing. So listen, if you're in the Portland, Vancouver metro area, come join us here at Crossroads. But wherever you are, find a good church, not only because God wants you to, but because God wants you to be blessed there and God wants to use your gifts as a blessing in the people of God. God bless you. Jesus is